0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 675.
1: You know, I I learned a long time ago that there's always someone that's going to have a cooler car than you are, that's going to have a faster car than you have, and the key to it is to not get too envious of that person.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts, Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Hello automotive enthusiasts! I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Paul Bryan. Hey Paul, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I'm ready, bucko. Let's roll.
0: All right. I feel a little bit like the grasshopper today with the Zen Master, so I look forward to my lessons here with you. Paul Bryan is regarded as one of our nation's best-known, respected, and in-demand automotive industry experts. He's a 35-year veteran in Chicago broadcasters and a sought-after speaker. And for 20 years, you've heard him on Chicago's Drive Chicago, a radio show that appeared on Saturday mornings. He served for nearly 20 years as the Director of Communications and Spokesman for the Chicago Automobile Trade Association. He's the past president of the Midwest Automotive Media Association and recipient of two Midwest Emmy Awards, and he was inducted into the Legends of Motorsports Guild's Hall of Fame. And in 2014, he founded the Bryan Group, a consortium of fellow experts focused on investment banking opportunities in the automotive industry, and Paul also teamed up with a past Cars, yeah, I guess, Lauren Fix. On there, his turn, her turn, a video new car review show. Very cool. So, Paul, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about your incredible history here. So, take a brief moment, please, and share a little more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles.
1: Oh, my gosh. You know, it's, uh, well, first, thank you so much for the invitation. It's You're
0: are I'm, welcome.
1: I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and it's you know it's a it's a weird thing when you look back and you say you might know, quantify or describe your career in a, in a minute or two <laughs> uh, when I've gotten a, a lifetime of pleasure and uh, and frustration <laughs> and joy and heartache and all all of the things at both ends of the continuum but always attached at at one point or another through a common thread of the automotive world and I feel very fortunate that. I've been able to, uh, you know, do what so many people seek to do, which is to be able to go ahead and, and live life and do it to in, in an arena that is your passion. So I I, I, I only wish that more people would be able to do that. There, there's some poor guy out there right now that's having a you know, juggle with a jackhammer for eight hours a day on a road crew or something like that. And while it's it's good work and honest work and I respect all work, you know, he's got to come home at night and he's going, hmm, is, it, is that all there is? I'm, I'm able to come home at night and, and go, boy, not only is that something that, that fits into the, is that all there is? Because I know that there's more. I'm able to chase it and Thankfully, it's it's been fairly successful. So
0: yeah, fairly brilliantly. I think you fit the mantra here at Carja, yeah? inspiring automotive enthusiasts. You figured out the secret sauce to life, and hopefully, together today, we can inspire a few other people that uh, you know what, maybe you can figure it out too. So. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in your life and your success, and I always say it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, so Paul, take the wheel.
1: <laughs> I've, I've had so many successful quotes that I've had. I've, I'm a big fan of uh, I'm a big fan of Winston Churchill. Actually, uh, yes, I, I, I love I love. Uh, that here's a guy who had quite humble beginnings, rose through the ranks, became Lord of the Admiralty, and then, uh, then they booted his butt out. And, and, and it wasn't until Clement Attlee and, and the group got rid of him uh, before World War II, and, and they screwed up, and, and Churchill wound up running the, the country. But uh, I, I remember the first time I heard someone say, someone tell me the story of the famous quote of Churchill when he made a commencement address mm. and he rose to the podium and walked to the podium as Sir Winston would have done. And he said, never give up. And then he sat down and then he thought for a moment and he walked back to the podium and said, never, ever give up. And then he sat down. Yes, <laughs> <You> know, brilliant. <laughs> you know, it, it's not long, you know, but but it works. It's not the uh, you know my favorite biblical uh, phrase. He he who shall also also shall he who, which nobody's ever been able to decipher. But still
0: fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Churchill was the master uh, <laughs> orator, of course, and his uh, that famous quote. Oh my goodness, it, I think it's helped inspire so many people,
1: and not only inspire them. But I tend to have a touch of sarcasm in my humor. <laughs> yes. Some people might, might say that. And, and there's always the famous Atley quote, where uh, he said uh, that Adley was a humble man. He said, but he had quite a bit to be humble about.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. No, it's a great quote. It speaks for itself, doesn't have to really be explained in any way. You just keep on keeping on. I think that other quote of his when you're marching through hell, just keep marching.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Let's go back in time a little bit. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you look back on your life that you realized, oh, my gosh, I'm a car guy?
1: Yeah. Oh, sure there was. And, and I, I remember it like it happened yesterday. I was uh, I was 15 years old, and my brother was doing timing and scoring for Sports Car Club of America. Bruce was uh, four years older than I was. Yeah. He had been invited to be part of the timing and scoring crew for SCCA at the Twelve Hours of Sebring, and I was uh, I was pretty deeply involved at that point. I wasn't a particularly great athlete. I played in athletics, but I was never you know I was never going to play for anything big and whatever. But I got great enjoyment from it. Mm-hmm. But I, I was able to get great satisfaction from from the automotive world and studying that. And thankfully, my dad was was a bitter boy. He had a heavy right foot, and my mother even more so.
0: (laughs) Your mother even more so. That's interesting. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Dad uh, had a 64 Catalino with a 421. And then in 66, he bought his first GTL. And then uh, mom didn't, she wasn't going to let dad get away with that. So then she bought a Chevelle Supersport 96 convertible. Cool, mom. And then dad came back with another GTO in 69. Then mom went to a uh, Bowtail Riviera after that. So that, you know, there there were some really fun cars. Yeah. But let me get to my brother because, I mean, I want to answer your question. He was going to go to Sebring to time. Mm -hmm. Well, there was no way in hell that my brother was going to go to Sebring to Simon's Court, and I wasn't. <laughs> and I, that was just not going to happen. Sure. So I was working for my high school newspaper in the yearbook. I went to the advisor, and I kind of, you know, like a good car guy, I kind of conned my way. <laughs> and I said, look, <laughs> I'm going there. Yeah. And wouldn't it make sense, since I'm going to this great sporting event, if I had a little better access I could write a much better story and, and do that. And so he took me to the local newspaper in uh, my town here in southwest suburban Chicago and introduced me to the sports editor, a guy named Roger Ron. And, uh, and we spoke for a while, and he said, yeah, I've, I've got no problem. He said, you seem pretty mature about this, and it's uh, all right. So he, he wrote to a guy named Fred Kingsbury, who was the media director for Sebring at the time, and got me credentials. So I went to Sebring with my brother. Nice. And uh, my second walk down the pits, Shelby was running the, the Ford racing program, of course, at that point. This was '66. Wow. And there was Shelby sitting on the pit wall, and it was like I was looking at the burning bush. <laughs> so on the second pass by, I don't know why other than divine intervention. Shelby looked at me and he kind of waved me over and you know, beckoned me and I walked over. He said, son, do you know what's going on? <laughs> and I said, I said, well, kind of, Mr. Shelby. You know, I couldn't believe it.
0: He was yeah. Talking to it. me.
1: <laughs> I said, well, kind of, but not really. I said, I'm learning. He said, well, then learn where, you, where you're going to learn something. Have a seat. So he sat me down on the pit wall with him.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: And told me, you know, OK, we're watching. You know, it was Gurney Miles. A.J. Foyt and White uh, Ruby Man. in the GT40s that year, and then a whole bunch of other activity that was going on. We're watching him. We're doing that. We're watching Scott Fiotti and the Ferraris. We're doing this and this and this and with Jim Hall and, and Phil Hill and the Chaparrales and stuff. Oh, my head was spinning. <laughs> well, well, that day began a 45 year friendship with Carol Shelby.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: I mean, we we became quite close friends. And he mentored me. It was uh, uh, later on in life. I'm I'm sure that he would be proud to say that uh, he had a thing for my Uh, (laughs) ex-wife. You know, but if if you knew Shelby, you'd say, well, that's not unusual. He had a thing for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. And uh, so uh, I moved to Dallas for four years. I I ran WFA radio in Dallas for a while, and you know, Shelby was in the area, and so we we really connected a lot down there. And mm-hmm. I started cooking chili in competition. And actually, actually, I got I got a great Shelby story. It's time to depart. When you cook chili, being at the radio station down there, you get invited to judge all kinds of things, beauty contests, you know, famous cheese, who knows what. <laughs> well, in Texas, there, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Chili cookouts, yes, and so I would get invited. You know, people were listening, and, and they said, "Well, the guys in the food once us invite him to come to a chili cookout." So came out, judged a couple of them, and there was this uh, group of folks down there called the Bottom of the Barrel Gang, and, and uh, it was a, a team that seemed to be pretty successful and, and really good folks. And they kind of adopted me, and, and they said, "Look, Yankee boy, uh, <laughs> if you're going to come down here and..." Tell us whether we've got good chili or not. It's time for you to put up or shut up. Start cooking. <laughs> yeah. And I went, okay, I will. And so the next week I showed up and I cooked with them. And I, I had a, uh, I think my first cook off, I finished 10th. Well, fast forward about a, uh, two years from that point, I had qualified in, in, in Chili Appreciation Society International. Which is like the WBA of, of Chile. Mm-hmm. You have to get points to cook at the World Championship at Turlingua Texas. Okay. You don't just show up. So I had earned my points, and, and a number of other team members had as well from the bottom of the barrel, and we went down to uh, Well Shelby was doing a lot of work for uh, Chrysler at the moment, mm-hmm. and this was in '83, and he had arranged for a truck. So. I wound up winning the championship. Now, now I got to tell you something. Wow. Nobody knows whose chili is in the cup. I mean, it's a totally blind...
0: Competition, yeah, state. yeah.
1: I mean, you, you you don't know. And so, oh, my God, Shelby won. nuts on that. So, <laughs> so anyway, it was... It was great the Yankee boy came down. And so the, from that point on, I was able to tell Shelby that I had forgotten more about Chile than he ever knew. <laughs> very nice. Wow. So anyway, he was pivotal to my life.
0: Uh, yeah, political. I think so. Yeah. Wow. What a start, man. Very fortunate you were. <laughs> well, Paul, I want to take a look at some of the other roads you've driven down. You've certainly been down a lot of roads. And have you share? A huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way in your career. You've had a lot of ups and downs and and potholes and all sorts of things, I know, because that's the life of an entrepreneur. But I'd love for you to share one that stands out for you. And of course, the most important part of this is how did you overcome it? What did it teach you so that you can move forward?
1: Well, when I was at at WFAA in Dallas, I, I, I got a call from, I had been working in the Chicago market at a station here, and I wound up in Dallas because we were extremely successful I think, with that format here in Chicago, and at that station in Chicago is where I gave Bobby Ray Hall his first ever radio interview. No kidding. Also, also kindling a 30-year, 35-year friendship that Bobby and I had. Yeah. I mean, I got a call wow. from the guys at Road America. At Road America, they called me. They said, hey, we got this kid. He's local. You know, he's been racing with Walter Wolf over in Europe, but he's going to run Canaan this weekend. We're looking for a little pub for him. Can you, can you give him some airtime?" time? Yeah, yeah sure. Because I had a warm spot in my heart for Road America. Of course. So, uh, put him on the radio. And, and so, that's how Bobby and I became friends.
2: Oh, my God! So, uh,
1: then I moved to Dallas to install the format that we were doing here down there. Spent four years there. Great years. Love Texas. Great place. Friendly people. And I could probably go back that fast. I really loved it. Mm -hmm. But then I got a call from WGN here in Chicago. Well, that's like being a kid from Brooklyn and getting a call from the Yankees, you know, (laughs) know, from the Bronx, rather. I mean, you know, you're going to go. Yes. I mean, if WGN calls, you're going. Mm Mm-hmm. So I did, and I spent four years at WGN, almost five. And the biggest problem I had, the biggest challenge I had, was that I had this sport that I loved. And I was on a station that was butt-deep in the Cubs, mm. in the Bears, mm-hmm. in DePaul basketball, in Notre Dame, and with management to all the way up the Tribune Company to another day. And here comes Cowboy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know,
1: Who are you? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, why, why? What are you talking about? And, and I really felt, you know, I, I was doing everything I could to, to try to get a toehold and I really got nowhere with it. I mean, I never got anybody to become true believers And, and mm-hmm. the, and the, the sad part is that they never really understood the linkage between motor racing and selling cars mm. and how that could have been an avenue for the sales department at the radio station right. to really capitalize and, and endear themselves to the people who were, building passenger cars mm-hmm. via this other route, and it, it just kicked my butt. I, I just couldn't. I tried every way possible. So I, I had done enough. I uh, tried every avenue. I tried a standalone show on Sunday night called Motorsport Today. And there's there's still a at Seabkin's Bar at Road America. There's still a, one of my show decals up there. <laughs> Very Big cool. long sucker, yeah, which is fun. So then I had great contacts in the industry, and they were, uh, Alpha Romeo was about to come into IndyCar program, and I got a, a call to come over and consult them in uh, Milan about a uh, best strategy for media and marketing. They were coming back to the States with the with 164 at that point. And I, I flew to Milan, spent a couple of days with them, flew home. When I got home, there was a message on my machine that said, can you come back tomorrow? Hmm. And so I thought, well, okay, yeah, I guess so. You know, we, you know, one was one <laughs> we got to talk things. So I went back and made me an offer to uh, to uh, join the team for media and marketing, communications, and stuff like that. So wow. so I wound up uh, working for three years on the Alfa Romeo IndyCar project.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Wow, what a twist!
1: Yeah. Yeah, horrible, horrible race car. I mean, God, it sucked. <laughs> but we had, we had great lunch. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Wow, what a story! Yeah, Bobby was a guest on my show just a few weeks ago. He was kind enough to to be a guest here on cars. Yeah, wonderful guy. Uh, of course, we all know about him. It was really sure. nice to get to talk to him in a personal uh, note, just like I am with you today. So, uh, yeah, very fortunate. Fun. You got to know him way back when. Now he's a superstar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very successful, obviously. Well, let's shift gears and go to the what I call the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a career aha moment. It's one of those times when you kind of see a bright light to head you down a new road for your career. And tell me the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success.
1: I don't know that anybody's aha moment comes with one step. <laughs> yes. I don't. I, I really don't. I, I think that it's an amalgam of all of the different life experiences that you have. And it's it's very much that amalgam is made up of both the, the successes and the, and the horrible lows and, and the stuff that makes you want to jump inside a gin bottle and think I <laughs> don't. When the Alfa Romeo thing was over, I was pretty down because, you know, we had such, we really did have hopes for that car. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was supposed to be the Ferrari Indy car. Mm. And uh, then the guys at Fiat, the Agnelli family said, no, we, we want, We want Ferrari in Formula One, we want Lancia in the uh, WVC in the rally championship, and we want Alfa Romeo in IndyCars. That's how we're going to split up our our Mm efforts. Well, we spent a boatload of money on that program, with not a whole lot of success, frankly. So when it was over, it was over. It felt bad. Uh, I started doing color for the IndyCar Radio Network. I was kind of John Madden for, for them. And I didn't really know what the next step was going to be. Paul Page wanted me to do color. He said, you know, come on, it was, it was better to sit down and do stuff like that. So I was doing it. And concurrent concur with that, I got a call from Jerry Sizerk at the Chicago Automobile Trade Association, who uh, who produces the Chicago Auto Show. Now, I, I had grown up from being a little kid going to the Chicago Auto Show with that was always a big day for my dad to take my brother and me to the auto show. Back in those days, that was a coat and tie deal. Oh and yeah. We'd go to the auto show and then we'd go to the Pump Room or some big deal restaurant downtown with dad. I mean, it was one of his shining days of the year. He loved taking his boys. Cool. So I, you know, it was with another one of those. Hey, let's have lunch calls. So I did, and I had no idea what he had in mind at the moment. But uh, he said, look, I know you're doing this this radio thing, but I need to fill my position as a, a new director of communications for the auto show. And uh, I said, well, let me think about that. And I got home, and I think it was that night. I just sat home, and I thought, Paul, you've been going to this show, and it's arguably the biggest show had been in the world and, and certainly in the States now. And And, uh, and I said, this is the best toy a car guy could possibly have. <laughs> I mean, think about this. You know, I'm being given ostensibly free reign on promoting and producing, you know, the the biggest toy box of cars. Right. Anywhere. Oh yeah. And, and I, you know, I went to bed and I tossed and turned and it was in the middle of the night. I got up and I said, you're a damn fool. Call back <laughs> and take the job. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so I did. Yeah, twenty years later, I said, "Boy, this has been fun." Uh, yeah, I, I want something? I want something new? But you know.
0: I think so. And,
1: and, the, and, the, and maybe the oddest thing is that if you were to ask me at year three if I would ever see year four, I'd say no. I was going to do something else, mm-hmm. and then I, you
0: know, it just then kind it of snowballed and grew and grew and grew. Yeah, yeah. Wow, absolutely so. very cool. Well, you've had. Many proud moments in your career. You've received so many accolades and awards and things, but is there one that stands out for you? Uh,
1: taking my granddaughter to the auto show.
0: <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Carrying on the legacy.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's you know, my daughter always says, Dad, you're a carrier.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: and I gave I gave it to her. My daughter's sat there. Blasting around in her 5 Series BMW, and, and now we got Quinn, my granddaughter, into her, her, her first go-karts this past summer. Cool. So she'll be into uh, into those this upcoming year. Yeah. Got her into some indoor places now over the wintertime. She's got some pretty good instincts. I, w- I want her to be able to feel the car, and feel what it's doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think from an industry standpoint, there are too many systems that are built into cars right now to... Make a driver feel that uh, that they have detached responsibility to what their contribution is to the driving, the exercise of driving, Mm -hmm. the the job of driving. Right. You know, while all the systems are there for a reason, it, it almost insulates the driver too much. So, I'm a firm believer in making sure that. You shut off all of the systems so that you, uh, a driver will understand what a push is, what oversteer it is, what a car feels like in your butt. You know, so yeah. you, know, you you instinctively know what it's doing rather than having to lean on the systems to do it. Right. So, so taking her to the show and seeing her get excited and the people. Uh, thankfully, I'm 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 recognized by a number of people, and she'll say. Grandpa, who
0: who was that? <laughs> who was that, Grandpa? Everyone, Everyone here knows you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's kinda cool. Uh you know, yeah, that, that's more that than kinda cool grandpa syndrome.
0: That's more than so, kinda cool. Yeah. Very fortunate indeed. Yeah.
1: I've I've been very fortunate. Uh, the the saying goodbye as uh, president of the Midwest Automotive Media Association, I think that that's uh, that's something that
2: mm-hmm.
1: under under my time. Uh I was able to put together a deal with with the people at Broad America for bringing the entire industry and all of Mama, all of the media association up there for uh, for the spring rally every year, where the track just said, "Hey, here's the track." I mean, they, they came to me and they said, "Look, we we need to get more media up here. What can we do?" Mm-hmm. I said, "George." I've got this event that happens every spring where it's going to be a hundred media and probably 200 manufacturer PR people and support folks. And I need your track for a day done. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even a one punch fight. It was like a half punch fight. Nice. And the people at road America have been so gracious and so visionary in that. And they've never charged us a dime for it. Mm. And it's, uh, it's really good. So I, I, that's a nice legacy piece.
0: Uh, yeah, just a little bit. I had the incredible fortune to vintage race at that track, and uh, it felt like uh
1: Isn't it fun? felt
0: pretty special, yeah, after yeah. knowing about it for so many years and going there and getting to drive there. so cool
1: when you go through the when you go through the carousel, can you help but not look at the the resting place of Brian Redland's cat <laughs> well I t- do you know that story?
0: <laughs> I have heard that story yes i uh, I'm trying to remember who told me that story. I think it was um. Bert Levy. I oh, think, could
1: be Bert, sure. Tell
0: me that story. He's been on the show. Gee,
1: was Bert promoting a book? I can't believe it. Uh, maybe.
0: Not. Maybe just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> probably. And trying to get me to loan him my race car. I'm sure that was part of it, too.
1: Yeah, that was Bert. That was no imposter. He's
0: smiling right now. Well, let's have a little bit of fun. I'd love for you to share your first really special car and maybe share a memory you have of that vehicle.
1: Oh, uh, there are two of them. Dad's 66 GTO, Ooh. which which was uh, the car that my father laughed at me about when I said that I needed to borrow his car to, to go take my <laughs> driver's exam. And he said, yeah, go
2: ahead. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> he, he said, yeah,
1: let's, let's see if the guy's going to give you a license when you roll up with that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go, go to your brother. That would be great. <laughs> so uh, I, <laughs> I always have very special uh, feelings for that car. But my my first new car was a uh, two-liter Alfa Romeo GTV Mm. that I bought actually at my first permanent duty station while I was in the Army in Panama. Cool. Uh, Dad wouldn't allow me to have a car in college, and uh, I guess wisely, (laughs) but uh, in retrospect. (laughs) But uh, he said, when when you're out of school and you got it and things settle down, then I'll get you a car. So I got out of school and I enlisted in the Army. Uh, six weeks later, whatever, I've enlisted and uh, went through basic, went through AIT, went through jump school, went through everything and uh, wound up in, in Panama for a while. And I fell in love with this Alpha down there and then I went to Mario, the friendly Alpha Romeo dealer in the Republic of Panama, bought this midnight blue two liter GT Veloci, and one of these days, I'm gonna own another one. (laughs) Yes, I I, am. I am. I've got it. There's some nice ones out there, and it's such a a classic uh, design and oh yes, uh, the the Bertone styling on it, and they're beautiful. From from working with the with the Alpha people in Italy for three years, I was able to meet a lot of the folks from uh, Bertone and Mm Pininfarina and and folks like that. So wow, when when they they heard that that was my car, they, they came back and showed me drawings of that car you know that, that they had in the back room
0: right and stuff that oh my gosh wow that's really cool i was very fortunate
1: yeah, respectable.
0: when i went to get my driver's license because my neighbor up the street owned a chevy dealership and he gave me a brand new camaro to uh take my driving test in and right. the, the driving guy the test giver walks out gets in my car he looks at me goes tell me this isn't your car i said no sir this is my neighbor's car he loaned it to me and he said he loaned you a brand new camaro and i said yes and he said if i pass the test i get to keep it for two weeks and drive it to school every day and he just shook his head and he said you know i'm thinking i'm just gonna pass you right here and just let it go because that's too cool (laughs) i said really and he said no (laughs) no I love that story. It was fun. It was fun, and I did pass. I'm happy to say. So I got to drive that car to school for two weeks, and then sadly give it back and buy a 1967 Chevy Nova that was belonged to some old lady. But that's another story. How about hey,
1: it? Could have been a 67 Baldwin Nova, uh, Baldwin Williams Nova with a 396.
0: No, 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 this was this was a pretty much old lady no, car.
1: This is a- Iron Maiden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, nothing special, <laughs> nothing special. Well, how about the seller's remorse story, that tear in the eye? Is there a car you've let go in your past that you really wish yeah, you had back? Yeah, the Alpha.
1: That car, okay. Same car. Same car. Same car. Because I got transferred, and I was going to come out of Panama and uh, go to the place with a the faraway place with a strange-sounding name that everybody knows. And, and uh, mm. so at that point, I was going to ship it back to the States. Yes. And it was a carbureted version and I took it down to the port captain to arrange shipping for it and he said, would you open the hood? I went, yeah, sure. He said, no, nah, can't do this one. Oh. Why? Because it, it had uh, uh, carburetors on it instead of the fuel engine. Oh. And so I went back to Mario, the friendly bandit, uh, <laughs> alpha there, bandit. Who was going to charge me $1,100 to convert it over to the Fuel injected mm-hmm. system. Well, you know, come on. I was a Spec Four in the army, making a you know fat hundred and seventy bucks a month or whatever. Yeah, it was. that was a fortune. You know, Eleven $1, hundred bucks, and I, I couldn't ask Dad for it. Yep. So had to let it go. Sold it to uh, Senior Master Sergeant Bob Kenward, United <laughs> States Air Force. I still <laughs> even Bob. remember who I sold it to.
0: Wow. Well, you know what? I think you're going to get another, another one of those. And first and foremost, thank you for your service. I really appreciate that. But I think, I think you're going to have another one of those in your life. Uh, it sounds like I can't wait to see you driving down the road in that car. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. Uh, you know, you're, you have the privilege of being my first guest here on Cars yeah for 2017. So Happy New Year to everybody out there listening and Happy New Year to you as well, Paul.
1: Thank you, sir, and back at you.
0: What has got you excited and really fired up for
1: this new year? Oh, my God. Uh, I, you know, when I look back at 16, there's so much going on in the industry right now, and, and I, I, I think I'd, I'd have to say is the influence of the new incoming administration And how that's going to alter the course of what's been going on in the automotive industry is going to be extremely interesting to follow. Mm, Okay. We're kind of on the the cusp of what I think is going to be a pretty radical change in Washington think about the way our cars are regulated, Mm -hmm. especially from the EPA standpoint. If you were to look back over 30 years, uh, if you went back... We, we first had catalytic converters mandated on cars in 175. right? And from that point on, we've had this steady march to more and more MPG, more and more. And, and at first, it was a little bit slow, and then we got into a—it's a bell curve thing. And, and I would suggest that we're way on the far right side of the bell curve right now. And the amount of money that I see dedicated by the OEMs to get infinitesimally smaller return on investment mm. to meet what I and many of them say quietly and without attribution, you know, Christ, I I, I, can't, I can't meet numbers like that. Yeah, like what they're talking about. What are they nuts?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I look at them square in the eye and say, "Yes, they are." <laughs> uh, I mean, i i want to, I want clean water and clean air for my granddaughter and, and for her children and the like too. But my God, if if you were to take a look at the amount of pollutants that we put out now versus what we were putting out in seventy five when we first started this, it's a tiny fraction of what's going. Mm -hmm. And I I go on launch programs now at least once a week and and sometimes two, where I will see manufacturers who are touting, well, we switched to this steel or we changed this here because we were able to save four pounds. We drilled out the brake pedal stem with little holes in it, uh, which we think look really sporty, but the main objective was really that we lost four ounces on that by doing it. And and you're looking, you go, seriously? Really? That's what's going on? So the cost to the consumer and the cost to the industry is not justified based on the return of meeting goals that are set by environmental ideologues. Mm-hmm. With no understanding of how the industry works, with no understanding of what the costs are, nor with any tolerance for what it costs, because they're—I mean, this is their crusade. Right. You know, my God. I mean, look, look at what happened, and I am in no way defending Volkswagen. What, what Volkswagen did with, with the diesel problem, I don't think was right. And yet, at the same time, you think to yourself. Well, currently, what what are they what are they gonna do? Yes. When uh, you know the, the senior management says you must make cars that are gonna beat these MPG requirements mm-hmm. with these emissions requirements, and if you don't do it, we're gonna find people who do. Well, so then we you go, wow, know, oh, you know, geez, you know, we we better do something pretty creative, guys, because from a basic engineering standpoint and until we get to the point where where captain kirk is able to go to scotty and say give me new dilithium crystals we're (laughs) we're burning dinosaurs folks i mean you know get used to it so it's crazy for us to be spending that amount of money for such a diminished return Mm -hmm. now 16 billion dollars volkswagen has been fined on this i don't think that that's 20% Twenty percent of what it's going to ultimately wind up costing them. Mm-hmm. I have been forecasting about a hundred billion dollar impact to that company based on this. Now, when you've got a two hundred billion dollar company and take away fifty percent of their market cap, that's big. Oh, yeah. I think that you may you may see you may see uh, uh, some selling off of brands by mm-hmm. Volkswagen Group in order to raise cash. They're they're out in the cash market right now. Looking. Yes. I mean, they have unfunded pension liability that they have to live with, just the same as if you're California or if you're Illinois or whoever. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to do something. But I think that that the administration that's coming in is going to have a more sympathetic ear to that, maybe a more realistic ear to
2: that. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, that's going to be driven top down. And I lived through this before when Ruckel's house was brought in uh, during the Reagan administration, everybody said that Ruckels House was going, oh, my God, we were going to be wallowing in garbage and, and we wouldn't be able to breathe, and we wouldn't be able to drink water, et yes. etc. et cetera. Et cetera. And, and, well, we all know that that came true. <laughs> and uh, so I, I think that uh, Attorney General Pruitt, when he becomes the, uh, the head of EPA, I think it's going to be a pretty exciting story to watch. We're going to watch that, and I wonder if this is the year that Elon Musk and Tesla really get uh, outed for being the, the, I don't know, I call him the Professor Harold Hill of, of the automotive <laughs> industry. got a band there, and uh, I want to see a band. I want to see a much better band than what's coming up. But, you know, I mean, look at this. We sold 165,000 electric vehicles last year mm-hmm. based on a market of 17 million cars. That's the percentage on that is seven tenths of one percent pretty tight and and now, as part of the part of the v w settlement is they've got to spend two billion dollars for electric vehicle infrastructure changes for what and and on top of that, why is v w able to or why is the e p a able to take money as penalty and not have that money go into general funds since when does the e p a have have their own funding back? I think that's going to end pretty radically under under Pruitt.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and and for Volkswagen to take two billion dollars and invest it in, a, in EV infrastructure, which they have to go to. I mean they've abandoned diesels. They understand their diesel days are over. Right. So they've got to go to uh, to electric vehicles. And then they, they don't have to release their data apparently for a year after they finish it. So they're going to have that much of a lead on the rest of the industry. Well, that's not
0: fair. Well, there's going to be a lot to see and a lot of changes. I'm absolutely certain of that. Wow, well very well said. Very thoughtful. I mean, you're a guy who's been in the industry forever, so you've seen it from all different angles and facets, so I really appreciate your perspective. Speaking of perspectives, here's yeah. a very introspective question for you, Paul. If Paul oh was a <laughs> If Paul was a car, what kind of car would Paul be
2: and why? <laughs>
1: If I were a car, oh boy, I got to turn into a transformer. I've already done that <laughs> once in my life, and, and not the way you think. I, even, you know, let me, let me, let me amend that. You know, I, you know, I didn't used to be Phyllis. Uh, <laughs>
0: now that's a story. I just, boy, I just got, a, I just got an awful interesting story here on cars. Yet, yeah, didn't I?
1: <laughs> uh, well what would I be? Yeah, I think I'd, prob- I think I'd probably be something you know, from BMW I'd probably be a, a, a mid-size or either a 5 or maybe a 7 car but short wheelbase 7, not the long one mm-hmm. you know, Warren Fix and I do a lot of video work together for a series we call His Turn, Her Turn uh, available on Facebook available on, on YouTube
0: great show Our by day. the way
1: uh, thank you very much, I was in chumming for that And uh, it's it's kind of funny because our roles get reversed a lot of times because you would think that Lauren would have the perspective of being uh, the more practical mom, you know, mother of two, you know, I've got to go to the store, I've got to do things like that. You know, Lauren's a hot foot. I mean, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, so... uh,
0: So uh, probably a 7 Series BMW, huh? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay, kind of stable established well built it will get you there reliable comfortable does that make sense i think so (laughs) i think so very nice okay well you know it's a goofy question but um i get a lot of very interesting answers so uh thanks for letting me take you there (laughs) well paul up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to today's cars yeah sponsors if you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra SIPC. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jump start a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, Paul, we are back and we're entering the last lap and I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: You're doing what? You're doing, you're doing what with a racing team?
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> and who did that come from?
1: Uh, my ex-wife.
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> kind of thought there might be some <laughs> ex involved there somehow. We will move on yeah. from that one. How about sharing... Thank you very much. Yes, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. How about sharing one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over all these years?
1: I think it's to uh, not just look at the car industry, but to, but to look at uh, look at art, look at fashion, look at style,
2: mm. uh,
1: because they, they all come back to the automotive thing. And, and if I were in any of those other disciplines, I would look at the Car industry as well for the same uh, for the same input. I think that uh, cars very much are, are art yes. and engineering both, and so I, I think it's really wise to try to stay as abreast as possible as you can of uh, of all of those different forms.
0: Yeah, you know, I had a uh, guest on my show last week, Donald Osborne, who a lot of people know. He's he's on Jay Leno's Garage, and he's a judge yeah, at Concord sure. events. Wonderful singer, wonderful guy. He just uh, published a book, uh, Stile Transatlantico, a book about transatlantic style in automobiles and how the U.S. market influenced the European market, European influenced the American market, and how they all kind of intertwined and interlaced. It's a it's a wonderful book. I'll have to uh, have Santa bring you a copy. Uh, well, Santa's past tense here since we're in the new year, but the new year I think it would be great for you to get your hands on that because it talks about the same kind of thing. How about a resource? Is there a resource? That you really enjoy, that you think the car Shout listeners would like as well.
1: Well, I I always Dutch Mandel and I have been buddies for a long time, and, and me with his with his father Leon before that. So uh, and Keith Crane as well. So if anything is breaking, I I generally feel like automotive news has the best inside information in, in the industry.
0: Yeah, awesome, great resource. How about a book? Is there a a book you've read that you think? We should add to the uh, guest recommendations list here on Cars, yeah?
1: Go like you
0: Ah, A.J. Bomb. Yep. <laughs> great, yeah.
1: Go like you
0: Very it, it's nice.
1: Great. It's so fun. Yeah. And I uh, got to spend the uh, better part of a day with Pete Brock uh, last year. He was in town doing a, a book signing, and we wound up hanging out for the day. Ah. And uh, because we were both tied at, at the hip and at the brain with Shelby. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was really fun to just spend time, and, and we were reminiscing about Shell. And it was just great times.
0: Yeah, I was I was so fortunate. I spent a weekend at Pete and Gail Brock's house, and I remember sitting out on his deck there in Henderson overlooking uh, the lights of Las Vegas. And he started telling me his days at uh, Shelby when he was designing the Daytona and stories about Carroll. And it was just – I had to pinch myself you know, going, how would I get here? How do I get to listen to this? Yeah. This is absolutely yeah. amazing. And Pete was a past guest here on Cars. Yeah, what a wonderful guy.
1: Ask, ask me who my favorite person to, to share a scotch with.
0: Okay, Paul. Who's your favorite person to share a scotch
1: with? Funny you should ask that. Yes. Ian Callum. Oh. The lead designer, uh, Ian Callum. Yes. The lead designer from uh, Jaguar, the head of design for Jaguar.
2: Mm.
1: Really, really deep thinker, art appreciator, uh, teller of stories, I think that Ian is going to wind up as being truly one of the great giants of of design in our industry and watch the things that happen at Jaguar.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, you'll have to introduce me to him. I would find it to be a dream to have him as a guest here
1: on Cars. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You should. I'll I'll, I'll get you tagged up with him. There you go. I
0: would appreciate that. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources Paul has shared on his very own show notes page at com slash bryan. And there's also another great place on the Cars website called Guest Recommended Books where um, go like hell and all the past 674 guests here on Cars Books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, Paul, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a bit of a doozy. If you could have only one collector car, something fun in your garage, money's no object. I'm feeling kind of flush today, so uh, I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that vehicle be? And more importantly, why?
1: I'll tell you another car that I really want because it, it has modern technology in it with ties to a, a really golden age of sports cars is a BMW Z8. Mm. which was made for, what, only about a a three- or four-year run? Yes. What, about about 10, 12 years ago or so? Didn't get particularly rave reviews, but uh, I I think just because of the styling cues and and the homage notes to the 507 is what, what makes it. It's like looking at a 507 that, went to some fountain of youth <laughs> and uh henrik fisker uh, was the, the lead designer on that and if if you take a look at a fisker and take a look at a, at, uh, a z8 you're going to see a lot of similarity there and also if you take a look at the back of a z8 and uh and the back of the mercedes sls uh, yes it's gonna, I was gonna say
0: yeah the sls for sure
1: wow what color would you like uh, I'd like a, uh, a silver. Okay, classic. Silver with a black, you know, okay. with a black convertible top. And, and, you know, that's the weird thing about that. That car is the only convertible I've ever watched it after. Oh, okay. I have been such a devout. Coupe. I mm-hmm. uh, my my, pers- my personal 911 is a coupe. I think that a 911 with a convertible top is an abomination of <laughs> nature. It's, it's what's wrong. It's everything that's it wrong just in the doesn't world. Doesn't quite
0: work for me either. I understand
1: the F-type Jaguar coupe, the E-type Jaguar coupe. Mm, yeah. On and on and on and on and on. I, I've just been such a uh, coupe guy, but for some reason that car I could see. You know, take take your 40s, 50s era. Is it William Holden? Is it uh, you know Burt Lancaster? I don't know who those are, but the guys who were driving over from uh, from LA to go to spend a weekend in Palm Springs. <laughs> yes. that's what they would be driving.
0: You know, Satch Carlson, of course, from uh, BMW sure. World and Roundell, and he uh, bought one of those cars not too long ago. Finally, and I'll tell you, you got I'm- a ZA. Yep. He got. Oh, I, hate him. A, him. I, know, I hate him. I know. I know. I do, too. Take that, Sash. Yeah. But um, I got a chance to drive a Z8 uh probably six or seven years ago, and I was blown away. I mean, after coming back from that car, um Steve Norman, a friend of mine up here in the Northwest, let me drive his. And he used to stop by my old office and say, hey, check this out. I got a Bugatti. Want to drive it? it yeah. He brought me that mm-hmm. Z8, and I got out of that car and went, I want one. And and I I hadn't really lusted that much after those before. I thought they were pretty cool. And I remember being at an auction during Monterey Car Week years ago, and I think one sold for like eighty thousand dollars, you know, with twenty thousand miles on it. And
1: yeah, no, they're drawing better money than that. Oh now. yeah, now a lot more money. They're than drawing, that. they're drawing, yeah, they're drawing more than that. And if you find an Alpina out there, oh. you better bring folded money.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, a Z eight, nice choice, Paul. I think you'd look very nice in that. It'd look nice sitting next to your 911 in the garage there. Paul, well, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. You have taken me on an awesome ride today, buddy. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little better. And I want to thank you for sharing your amazing automotive journey with the car show listeners.
1: You're very kind. Dude.
0: <laughs> you're welcome. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that Z8?
1: You know, I, I learned a long time ago that there's always someone that's going to have a cooler car than you are, <laughs> yeah. that's going to have a faster car than you have. And the key to it is to not get too envious of that person. Mm, yes. Uh, I, I remember when I got my 911 my and I, I pulled into a gas station and I, I was like the king of the world this was just great. I couldn't believe I had this car. It's a car I had lost it after since they first popped. Mm-hmm. Finally got it and everything. I pulled into a gas station and in came some guy with a, with a Rolls, whatever the heck it was at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And I went, you, S.O.B., you had to show up.
0: Yeah. That, I was feeling so
1: good about and myself. You had to show up, didn't yeah. you? So yeah. So be happy with what you've got. Yes. Yeah. Uh, enjoy it. Wallow in it. And uh, know that it's special to you and and, uh, you bought it because it was special and it rang your time. So enjoy the moment.
0: Enjoy the moment. My parents used to always tell me, focus on what you have, not what you wish you had. And enjoy and be grateful for that. So great words of wisdom from you. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and learn more about what you're up to these days? Well,
1: you know, just go to the post office and look on the wall. You'll see my picture there. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that's where I—that's where I recognize you from.
1: Absolutely,
0: yeah. I'm famous.
1: <laughs> Best way is uh, uh, I tweeted the Paul Brian T H E P A U L B R I A N. I invite people to go there, follow me on Facebook. Uh, his turn, her turn on Facebook. We have our page there, mm-hmm. and tons of uh, video reviews on uh, YouTube that, yes. are, that are linked at his turn, her turn on Facebook as well. And there's other stuff coming along that uh, you know the the last chapter is is far from being written. There's of course, other stuff coming that I can't talk about quite yet. That's going to be very fun.
0: Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Paul's been so kind to share on his very own show notes page here at CarsYa.com. Just type Paul in that search bar and that page will pop up. I encourage you to check out what this guy's up to, the uh, quintessential car guy for sure. Well, Paul, thanks again for being so generous today with your time. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to the CarsYow listeners. And to you. Yeah, I want to thank you for sharing your incredible experiences with us. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you very much. You, you've been most kind, and uh, and I appreciate uh, I appreciate being here so much. I believe me, I I never thought years ago that I would be interviewed as you know one of the, the folks as you have portrayed me. I'm I'm honored and humbled, and thanks so much for the invitation.
0: The honor was all mine.